Welcome to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. This is Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman Jr. People call me PG, and I am so honored to lead this amazing ministry that is really trying hard to glorify God. Listen, thank you for tuning in. Matter of fact, go to our website, tbcaugusta.org. You can find out about all the wonderful things that we're trying to accomplish for the kingdom of God at our church. Matter of fact, you can also give through Secure Give, Giveify. We pray that you will partner with us as we once again do all that God calls us to be. Well, let's get into that word and that experience. I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. God bless you. What a mighty God we serve. He is high. He is strong. He is mighty. What a great reminder for us, even in times like this, to know that God is a mighty God. You partner in prayer with me at this time. God, we pray now that you would bless us. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we come to this moment to hear your word, we pray, God, that you will posture us in the position of receiving what you have for us on this day. And God, we appreciate the simple fact that you love us beyond measure. And now, God, as our hearts have been steadied and readied for the word, we thank you for the worship experience, those who have come before to usher us into the presence of God. Now, God, it is our time to hear from you. And we pray that through the word of God that you would once again allow your spirit to rest amongst us. I thank you for so many that are tuned in now through our Tab Global platform. I pray a special blessing for each home that we're reaching, each person that is a part of this experience. And God, even though I can't see them, God, you can. And so I thank you again for providing in this moment a meal that all of us need to hear. So God, I pray personally that you would guide my thoughts and speak with my tongue. My desire in this time is to be helpful and encouraging, hopeful, because that's what kind of God you are. So God, do it as you always do in this moment. This is our prayer in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wherever you are, can you give God the absolute best praise that you have? I want you to know that wherever you are is a sanctuary. It is a sacred space for God to be honored and glorified. Once again, we want you to know as a tabernacle church that we are praying for you. And we are saying and praying that God would once again grant you peace and strength during these times. A special prayer goes out to those who are part of the healthcare uh, industry, doctors and nurses, even those emergency technicians. Once again, you are a top of our prayer list, and we are so appreciative of the sacrifice that each of you make. Even those that are working to sanitize, we don't want to overlook anybody. And so many people allow us to be safe. And I know that a lot of this is uncomfortable and an inconvenience. But once again, as we've been saying so many times, and I believe it and I trust it, that at the end of the day, I know God is in control and God will see us through this. I pray that each of you are staying safe. I pray that you're doing the things that they're asking us to do. I pray that you're washing your hands and, and making sure that you're practicing social distance. This is important for us to get ahead of it. Yes, we have faith, but we also have common sense. And we want to make sure that we're operating with that today. So listen, special prayer to government leaders that they would do the right thing and not always do the easy thing. And so this is an interesting time for a country, but I know that God is going to see all of us through. Listen, today is the last 
uh, sermon in our series called Encounters. But I hope that you'll tune in with us on next week. Excited for a new series. I had a different series planned entitled This Is Us. May is typically our family month, and next week would have been my anniversary schedule. Um, but God laid upon my heart to make a shift to do an audible. And so we're doing a series next week entitled Finding the Cure. And sometimes, how many of us know there are spiritual viruses that can destroy? As bad as coronavirus is, how many know there's a virus called fear and a virus called worry and a virus called despair and discouragement and loneliness? So over the next few weeks, it's my aim through the word of God. Here's the good news. You don't have to wait 18 months to get a cure for those viruses. But God tells us through his word, there's a cure for those viruses. And we're going to begin that as we walk together beginning next week with our series, Finding the Cure. Well, listen, let's get into the word of God where this is the final portion of Encounters. I hope it has been helpful as we've been trying to engage the reality of certain things that we call God moments. And we've been hopefully been lifting up some moments in scripture where you're just seeing divine intervention. Angels just show up, right? Like for Abraham when God tapped him on the shoulder or for Lot when God had to grab him by the arm. Or, or yes, even that time when God had to break the hip of Jacob. We even learned that God can even meet us under a tree. That even in our depression and low moments... God is there. And on last week for Resurrection Sunday, we learned that God can even greet us in the graveyard as those two women made their way to the grave expecting to have a funeral only to experience a resurrection. God is just good like that. So as we come to the final one today, I want to invite your attention to Acts chapter 12. I don't know about you, but they have been blessing me to know that every now and again, God will just show up. And one thing I'm grateful for is God shows up even without my invitation. And he creates this encounter that is so critical and crucial for my development and also for his glory. Today's text, Acts chapter 12, is what I want to lift up for us as we're sharing this last narrative, familiar passage. But I believe that God can meet us and greet us in a lot of different places. That he's a God of a myriad of spaces. And, and in those spaces, God shows us the nature of who he is based upon how he meets us and how he encounters us. So Acts chapter 12, I'm reading from the Good News Translation. We're going to read it around verse 6. And this is the word of God for us today. The night before Herod was going to bring him out to the people, Peter was sleeping between two guards. He was tied with two chains and there was guards on duty at the prison gate. Suddenly an angel of the Lord stood there and light shone in the cell. The angel shook Peter by the shoulder, woke him up and said, hurry, get up. And at once the chains fell off Peter's hands. Then the angel said, tighten your belt and put on your sandals. Peter did so, and the angel said, put your cloak around you and come with me. Peter followed him out of the prison, not knowing, however, if what the angel was doing was real, he thought he was seeing a vision. Passed by the first guard station, then the second, and came at last to the iron gate that opens into the city. The gate opened for them by itself, and they went out. They walked down the street, and suddenly the angel left Peter. Peter realized what had happened to him and said, Now I know that is really true. The Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's power, from everything the Jewish people expected to happen. Look again at verse 7. It says these words, Suddenly an angel of the Lord stood there. The light shone in the cell. The angel shook Peter by the shoulder, wake him up and said, Hurry, get up. At once the chains fell off Peter's hands. For time which is ours, we come to the conclusion and climax of this series, Encounters. I want to preach today from this thought, when God delivers you out of jail. 
wherever you are, lift those hands towards heaven and say, Lord, speak. We need to hear. God, allow us to receive your holy and immutable word. We have a problem in our United States of America. In spite of all the things dealing with our health problems and health crisis from coronavirus, I want to lift up a reality for many of us. Perhaps you're not even sure about it, but we have a problem of mass incarceration. You begin to go back, you begin to see the effects of mass incarceration. You began to see the problems and how it plagues our society. It's interesting to note that if you were to put us up against other countries in the world, that we have more people incarcerated than any other country. I could raise a question, I could raise a thought today that it isn't necessarily based upon crime. But if you begin to outline it a little bit, you begin to realize that mass incarceration is a little more nuanced than most people want to make it out to be. It's not just a place full of bad people, but honestly, the truth of the matter is a lot of incarceration has nothing to do with whether someone did wrong, but has more to do with one's race and one's class. It's an interesting book entitled The Jim Crow, The New Jim Crow, that argues this point about how mass incarceration has literally decimated black and brown communities. And we can think about that even within the context of ourselves. We can talk about it and how it has really relegated our community. And it's not just the lack of physical presence that makes it horrifying, but also because we have done a poor job as a country about reentry. We've not dealt with the emotional toll and even the psychological impact that incarceration can have. To be jailed, to be in captivity is a difficult thing. And it affects us. And it happens that there are many within the confines of incarceration that oftentimes face hopelessness and feel as if they will never get out. To make that correlation, I want to submit for you that there are many, perhaps even listening to me now, that knows what life being incarcerated feels like. Not necessarily behind physical bars, but having to be behind mental bars. Maybe it's some psychological barrier or hindrance that's causing you to struggle and strain. And there are many even under the sound of my voice that find themselves in some quarantine experience. But there you are in a situation that you wish you could get out of. The thing that I want to submit for you is that oftentimes I've learned that bondage happens and it's not necessarily your fault. But yet the question still remains if I'm stuck in something, who can get me out of it? That's what makes it so unique for us to understand the variety and the nature and the names of God to realize God's particularity and how it is once again promoted and also lived out in our lives. We understand that oftentimes the revelation of who God is is based upon the situation that we are in. In essence, the situation is what breeds the understanding for us to know how God can be revealed and how God's character can be exemplified. In other words, I wouldn't know that God can heal unless I've been sick. I can't know that God is a provider until I've experienced lack. And yet today's text also challenges us because oftentimes you don't know that God can deliver until you've been in bondage. Until you found yourself in some captivity, you do not know that it is God that can come to your rescue. You don't have to take my word for it. There's a person of our text today in Acts chapter 12. His name is Peter. He's known to us a lot of times as one of the close confidants of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. By the time we get to Acts chapter 12, we see Peter, this great apostle, the one that preached the sermon on Pentecost, now chained to guards in a jail cell. 
He's been thrown in jail by the government of that day, Herod the Agrippa. But the Bible lets us know that while he's languishing there, while he's awaiting his execution, the Bible lets us know that God sends an angel to rescue Peter. God sends an angel as a response to the prayers of the church that while he's in prison, they're praying. And all of a sudden, where he was chained in prison, guess what? God delivers him out of jail. I got good news to let you know that God is still in the breaking out business. God is able to deliver us from whatever held us down. God is able to bring us out of captivity. And the truth of the matter is that can be a God moment for someone today. I can hear you all the way through the screen. I can tell some of you under the sound of my voice have been wondering how long am I going to be stuck in this situation? How long am I going to be held in this bondage? How long am I going to have to endure what I'm having to go through? But here's the good news that God teaches us in this encounter series is not only he is a God that provides and not only is he a God that can bring us out, not only is he a God that breaks us to bless us, not only is he a God that meets us in our places of death, but we serve a God that can deliver us out of our bondage. And that's good news for some of us today. And I got to let you know that our text is littered with some truths that I think is so important for us to glean. I want to submit for you today that whatever you're in, God can bring you out. Maybe there's someone under the sound of my voice that's feeling mental bondage. God can bring you out. Maybe there's someone that is stuck and mired in emotional bondage. God can bring you out. Maybe there's someone under the sound of my voice that's in financial bondage. God can bring you out. The amazing thing about God is he's a deliverer. God can take us where we are and bring us out. God can rescue us from what's holding us down. And I believe I got the right word for someone today as we are now a week after Easter. Isn't it important for us to know that he's risen for a reason? And because he is risen, we can still experience life forevermore. And just like Peter in our text, that I know that you might be incarcerated now. I know that you might feel in bondage now, but we serve a God that can deliver us. That's the good news I want to share today. And I really want you to understand this because this text to me is so powerful because I too like Peter have been in these places. I too like Peter have oftentimes wondered what's up. I too like Peter have found myself in bondage but the good news is uh, I'm glad that I can call on a God uh, that's not going to leave me stuck where I am. But I can hear you today. I can already feel you through the through the, the lens of this service today. I can already tell that some of you are trying to figure out how then can God break me out. Pastor, you don't understand what I'm wrestling with. You don't know the struggle that I'm in. But here is the good news. Our text seems to convey to us some truths about why God delivers us. Let me tell you, there's a process to the deliverance of God. God doesn't just deliver us to deliver us, but it's as a response to something because God is always trying to do something in the midst of deliverance. God don't just want to get you out just to get you out, but God's getting you out has to have a purpose. And as we begin to unpack that for this passage, it's important for us to glean and understand that what we see happening in the life of Peter also happens to us. So what does that mean? How can we apply the deliverance of God to Peter getting rescued from jail? Well, here's the first thing I think we can glean from this text. And if we were to be able to look at it from the lens of God's deliverance, first thing that it seems to us about why God delivers Peter and why God delivers us is because God's deliverance, first of all, number one, is a reward to us for our faithfulness 
in trying times. That what God does is God delivers those who stay faithful. That's what's so powerful about this narrative. Matter of fact, you can't take Acts 12 in isolation, but you must understand it within the context of the entire book of Acts. Acts is the second part, the companion narrative with the story of Luke's gospel. It is the continuation of what happens when Jesus ascends back to the Father. It is the story, not just of the disciples, but of the church. It's a universal reality that God is still doing the work of the ministry of Jesus to those faithful believers who once again are spreading the news of his life. That, that, that's why the Acts is so important because the story is not about how Jesus left documents, but it's a story about how Jesus left disciples. When you read the trajectory of the book of Acts, you begin to note that really it's the intent of God for the church to grow and for the church to spread. But understand what God uses in order to spread the church, to spread the gospel. He uses persecution. That that's why when you read the narrative of Acts, you'll note that very few of the chapters are void of oppression and captivity. Matter of fact, we begin to see that even those who are considered the, the patriarchs or even the protagonists, the heroes, if you will, of the story, are ones who oftentimes have to struggle the most. That's what's so intriguing as we get to Acts chapter 12, because Acts chapter 12 literally is a lynch pen narrative. It is the tie-in, if you will, of the story that is trying to tie in the fact about how we begin to see the church continue to grow. And how does it grow in Acts chapter 12? It grows in Acts chapter 12 like it's been growing in other chapters through persecution. And what has happened now is that the church has now moved beyond just being a religious threat. It's also become a political threat. I know there's many people who want to suggest to us that our religion and our faith has nothing to do with politics, but that is antithetical to Scripture. The Bible is very clear, even in the book of Acts, that a lot of the challenges the church had to face was not just from religious oppression, but it was also from political oppression. That's why Acts chapter 12 in its context is so unique because the text tells us that at this time there was a man that was over this province where the church was growing. His name was Herod the Agrippa. That name should sound familiar. Matter of fact, he's the grandson of Herod the Great, the one that brought the genocide when Jesus was born. He's also the nephew of Herod the Tetrarch, the one that beheaded that great prophet and rabbi by the name of John the Baptist. We understand the, the family of Herod was notorious for their leadership, their narcissism in Scripture. And Herod the Agrippa here in Acts chapter 12 is no different than his grandfather and even his uncle. And so we come to a critical period here where we see government and religion in cahoots in order to try to convince the church or to quench the movement of the church. That's why what happens in the text, we see the first martyrdom of the apostles, James, the brother of John, one of the inter three of Jesus's tight cohort is beheaded. Herod grabs him and kills him, much to the delight of the Jewish religious believers. And so they're excited because once again, the church is a direct conflict with what these believers, these religious people are believing at that time. They had a hard time gathering the fact that Jesus 
is the Messiah. They could not reconcile in their mind that he was the son of God. So Herod trying to get good in, in good with the religious folk in order for his approval rating to go up, he decided to do something that was going to harm somebody else. He beheads James. He sees how they respond to it. So now he decides if y'all like that, I got something you'll like even better. He, he decides to make decisions not based on the best welfare of the people, but he makes decisions based upon seeing if the people will like him more. He's in a re-election year, so Herod the Agrippa is having to make decisions that is not necessarily for the benefit of the people, but he's trying to make himself look good. And so if you liked me killing James, then I know you're going to like what I'm about to do to someone who I feel is greater than James. And so what does he do? He incarcerates Peter, who's considered a father of the faith, and schedules him to to be killed. This is important, my brothers and sisters, because he does this for Peter because Herod the Agrippa is wrestling with his own narcissism. The only reason that James is dead and Peter is incarcerated is because Herod is a leader that has a problem trying to be cool with himself. And since he's trying to get everybody to like him, he does stuff to the detriment of others. I ain't talking about nothing, but I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. And so Peter now becomes a casual collateral damage based upon the program of Herod because Herod is trying to deal with stuff based on his own thing. Peter now is incarcerated not because Peter did anything wrong and not because Peter is bad but Peter just because he's Peter because he's connected to Jesus and Herod feels like I need my approval rating to go up so Peter now has to succumb to the reality of having to deal with the issue the trying time based on nothing that he did on his own and I can hear what someone's saying because at the end of the day, you and I have oftentimes had to deal with the consequences of stuff that we didn't even bargain for. There's stuff that has happened in our lives that we didn't ask for, that was not part of our agenda. But sometimes we have to deal with stuff based upon the ineptitude of others. Sometimes other people's bad decisions oftentimes lead us to be in bondage. That's where Peter is. The text tells us that it's interesting that the only thing that kind of keeps them in this moment is that this is considered the feast of unleavened bread. It's during the Passover time and it's interesting that the reason why he has to be incarcerated and not killed is because of the festival. So guess what happens to Peter? Peter gets thrown in the jail. And my brothers and sisters here is what I appreciate about scripture uh, because we see the dichotomy of scripture. We see uh, the opposing forces that oftentimes we see them best exemplified in scripture. And verse 5 is amazing to me because if you read verse 5, it tells us that Herod throws Peter in jail. But while Herod is throwing Peter in jail, verse 5 says, but the church was praying for Peter. Oh, I feel like having some good church right there because I want you to know here is why I appreciate this story of Peter. On one hand it's not right that he has to be incarcerated. On one hand it's unfair how Herod and others are treating him. On one hand I'm saying to myself God this does not seem right. But on the other hand it gives me an opportunity to understand that sometimes you don't know who's praying for you until you go through something. Isn't it amazing that verse 5 teaches us that while one side is trying to bring 
harm. Another side is trying to bring help. And somebody needs to hear this word that I'm giving you today because I know that sometimes in life we want to feel like we're by ourselves. But one thing that I want to submit to you that the text seemed to support is that while Peter is unjustly incarcerated, he got some folk that are praying for him. And I believe I'm not in here by myself, but I got some people that can testify. I'm grateful I got some folk that's praying for me. When times got hard, they prayed for me. When things got difficult, they prayed for me. While I was still trying to struggle and skimp and trying to make ends meet and trying to rub two nickels together to make a dollar, I'm glad I had some people that had me on their mind. I'm glad that for all the hell that the world raises, we got some kingdom-minded people that don't mind praying for you. I believe I got some praying folk out there that's watching this right now. Go and put them praying emojis up in the comment section and say, I know what prayer is like, Pastor. I know what it is to be kept by prayer. I know what it is to be on the mind of people. I know what it is for God to keep me because even though it's a trying time, I still gonna remain faithful. I love it because I want you to know you're not always going to be rewarded for doing good. You're not always going to be patted on the back because you love the Lord. Oh, I wish children of God would mature to the point to stop believing that just because you try to do the right thing and try to treat people right, that people will in turn do the right thing towards you. That's what some runner found out in 1993. It was a Division II cross-country national championship. 128 runners were scheduled to run a 6.2 mile course. There they were, they started out, and each 128 runners had the aspirations of crossing the finish line first. But one of the runners, as he was running, noticed that a large group of them veered off and took the wrong path. He knew what the right path was, and he stayed on it, even though he saw a large contingency of them go the wrong way. He decided to stay on the right track and the right path but that wrong path the others took literally was a shortcut. It cut their time, and actually many of them crossed the finish line way before this young man who decided to stay on the right track. When he crossed the finish line, he knew he had stayed on the right track, and he thought the officials would make the right decision. But the tag, if you read the story, it tells us the officials decided to say, you know what, they made an honest mistake. And the one that stayed on the right track didn't end up first, second, third. He ended up 123 out of 128. And I'm here to let you know that that young man learned a valuable lesson. And I want to share that with you today. Is that just because you're on the right track don't mean you always be rewarded for it. Don't expect people to pat you on the back and applaud you. But there is one that will find you faithful. There is one that will reward you even when the world doesn't reward you. And just like we learned in the story about Peter, that oftentimes being right will sometimes lead you in wrong. The truth of the matter is still stay faithful anyhow. This text seems to share with us that God delivers us as a reward for being faithful in trying times. But there's something else I think our text also conveys to us. Is that God delivers us, number two, as a way to stretch us for our opportunity to be set free. Here's what's crazy. Peter's in jail. And the Bible says in verse 6, he's asleep. Let me try that again. He's in jail. If you read the whole trajectory of the story, 
the next day he's supposed to be executed. They've already killed James. Peter's awaiting his turn. It's the night before he's supposed to be executed. He's chained to two guards who are changing their guard duties every few hours. Matter of fact, Herod and the religious authority want to make sure that Peter doesn't escape. So they have measures in place. He's chained to guards and he's also hidden behind iron doors. It's a night before he's supposed to be executed. He's chained to guards. There are iron doors to hinder him from getting free. But yet, even though he's chained to guards and behind some iron doors, Peter is asleep. Now, I must admit to you that if there is any other picture of faith, this to me is a perfect picture of faith. Because in this moment, you would think he should be up anxious, worrying, struggling, confused, and angry. But Peter exemplifies none of that. That even though he's less than 24 hours from a perceived execution date, he's chained to some guards and behind some iron gates. Peter is asleep in the prison cell. I know there's someone out here that's asking that critical question. I asked the same thing. thought to myself, how kind of faith can you have to be sleep with all this going on? Sleep less than 24 hours from being executed. Sleep as you're chained to guards and sleep behind iron gates until I understood that Peter has already understood that this was not going to be his end. The reason I say that, if you go back to John chapter 21, remember I told you that Peter had a unique relationship with Jesus. Jesus told him in John chapter 21, he said, Peter, you're going to die an old man. That was the word that Peter got in John chapter 21. It's Acts chapter 12. Matter of fact, this is not the first time Peter has been in jail. He has been a jailbird throughout the story of Acts. But yet even though he's less than 24 hours away from being executed and he's chained to some guards and he's behind some iron doors, he can sleep because of a word he got in John chapter 21. You got to catch what I'm saying today. The reason he could sleep through this is because he had a promise from God and he knew the promise from God was greater than what they said was going to happen tomorrow. It was greater than the guards he was chained to. It was greater than the door he was a part of. In other words, the reason Peter could sleep is because he knew that God was going to make a way somehow. I wish I had some people that could exemplify the faith like Peter, that some stuff don't make sense. And folk are looking at you, talking about how you in the midst of a crisis getting rest and still working out and still getting being productive is because you are smart enough to know that I'm not living in a prison, but I'm living with a promise that I can rest in my prison because of the promise God gave me. Is there anybody here that can testify? That's why I rest at night. That's why when I put my head on the pillow, I ain't tripping. I ain't losing my mind. I ain't slitting my wrist. Why? Because I got a promise from God. And I just believe that God's word is a yea and amen. Do I got anybody at the Tab Global Cyber Sanctuary that wants to testify? I can sleep with it, baby, because I got a word from God. I'm not tripping. I'm not going lose my mind because if God says it that settles it he's sleeping he knows that God is going to deliver him 
the people are praying for him. And that's when the text takes on this interesting shift. Because while he's sleeping, God shows up. He's sleeping in this dark prison when a light shines and an angel shows up. He's sleeping so good, y'all, read the text, that the angel has to nudge him to wake him up. That's some good sleep. And when he wakes him up, it's a divine entity there to rescue Peter from the prison. When you read the story, if I had time, I would tell you it's an amazing story of deliverance and rescue. We see the chains of Peter fall off. We see the doors get open. And we see Peter walk unbeknownst to the guards who are there. He's literally set free from his prison. And if I, if I was a good preacher, you would shout over that. How God can make your chains come off. How God can open the doors for you. How God can make you navigate enemies without them even knowing that you're there. But that to me is not the real shout of the text. The shout of the text is not the fact that the chains fall off. It's not the fact that the doors get open. It's not just the fact that he now moves unbeknownst to the guard that are there to try to cover his life. But what blesses me is the process for his deliverance. Because this deliverance, this rescue mission, if you will, was not a one-sided mission. About to get in trouble. Some of y'all about to tune me out. But I need you to at least stay on another seven minutes. So allow me to uh, at least explain what I'm saying. Because to me, uh, this text teaches us the wonderful privilege that God gives us to partner with him in our deliverance. Because if you read the text, the chains don't just fall off. Peter has to get up. The doors don't just open up. He has to put on his shoes and his belt and his cloak. And he has to walk towards a closed door. The guards don't just know he's not there. But he has to navigate through them. Uh, even though there's a possibility they may wake up. The angel is there to escort him. Uh, but the angel can't do everything. Uh, there's some things that Peter has to do. Uh, in order for the miracle to be manifested. And this thing blessed me. Because sometimes I want to submit to you. Uh, that somehow in this 21st century of kingdom. Uh, we have created spoiled saints. Uh, we got saints that want God to do everything so uh, we'll go to the altar we'll lay at our bed uh, and we'll say God make the chains fall off uh, God I need you to open some doors uh, and God I need you to make sure my enemies stay back uh, but I can hear God respond like the angel uh, all right if you want all that what are you gonna do for it uh, are you gonna stretch your faith to the point uh, to realize that in order for these things to come to pass uh, I gotta be willing to do my part as well uh, if I won't change to fall off I gotta get up if I want doors to open I gotta dress the part if I want to navigate by my enemies I can't be scared to walk by in their presence because if this miracle is gonna come to pass I've got to allow myself to be stretched to do what I gotta do to see it work out on my behalf I wish I had somebody that knows that I'm talking about that when you made up your mind that I'm gonna do what I need to do is when 
when you see God do what God needs to do, uh, that when you made up your mind to get up, uh, put your shoes on, uh, dress for something better, uh, and start walking, uh, is when you had chains fall off, uh, when you had doors open up, uh, and when you had ways made. Uh, I believe I'm preaching about 250 of y'all out there uh, that can testify. Raise that hand at me and say, preach it, pre-G. You are talking to me right in here because the matter, the, the whole truth is uh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm glad God let me participate in. What if I told you that your biggest struggle is you? That I know you want to talk about everything that's against you. And I know we want to have a pity party about how hard these chains are. And how big these doors are. And how mean these guards are. But notice in the text that was not Peter's concern. The angel was going to handle the chains. The angel was going to handle the doors. And the angel was going to handle the guards. But Peter had to get up. He had to put his shoes on. He had to put his belt on. And he had to walk. What if I told you child of God... Stop tripping over what you can't handle and start mastering what you can handle. You may not can handle the chains, but you can determine getting up. You may not can open the doors, but you can determine if your shoes are on the right foot, if your belt is latched correctly, and if your cloak is on your shoulders. I've learned in this season to just do what I can do and let God handle the rest. I may not can change when the quarantine's gonna be over, but I can determine how I spend my day. I may not know how many folks are getting tested, but I can determine how I'm gonna live my every day. I've decided in this season that the stuff I can't handle, I give it to God. But what I can handle, I'm gonna make sure that I get my best foot forward and do my part to stretch out on faith. There was a great evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith, and she was asked the question, how to have great revival? How do you tap into the great power of God? This is a response to the person that asked, said, well, if you want to experience great revival, if you want to experience great power from God, this is what you do. Go home, grab a piece of chalk, draw a circle on the ground, stand in the circle, and then pray this prayer. God... Revive everything in this circle. In other words, what she was trying to convey is that if we're going to have true revival, it ought to start with us. If we're going to have true deliverance, it ought to start with us. Lord, let us stretch for the moment, for the opportunity to be set free. God delivers us in order to reward us. God delivers us in order to stretch us. But there's a third thing. God delivers us from jail. Watch this to display us to fuel the faith of others. This, this story has always been intriguing to me. The reason it's intriguing to me is that it seems in reading the story that Peter, during the whole process of his escape, thought he was dreaming. He had had chains fall off, doors open. Matter of fact, when you read the text, he walks down the street with an angel until all of a sudden the angel disappears. Peter responds to the disappearance of the angel by saying, literally the GIV version, the Goodman International Version, man, that wasn't a dream, that was real. In other words, Peter was assuming that everything he was doing 
he was not even sure if it was God. But what shouts me, help me Holy Ghost, is that even though he was uncertain, he still complied. He wasn't sure it was God, but he still did it anyhow. Can I tell you why that blessed me? Because I can't tell you when was the last time I was 100% sure it was God. And I know there's someone out there that you need definitive proof. You, you need to know without a shadow of a doubt it was God. But Peter teaches us is that sometimes true faith is exemplified in times of uncertainty. That even when you don't know that it's God, you're still trusting and leaning and depending and saying, Lord, if it's you, then you'll bid me to come. Lord, I may not, I'm hoping this is you. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm not sure, but I'd rather be right than rather be wrong. I'd rather just assume that it's you and step out by faith. And if I'm wrong, then I'll just be wrong. I've learned sometimes some of our biggest steps have to be made in moments of uncertainty. That's what happens. He finally figures out this was real. God has delivered me from the hand of Herod and what the people have wanted to happen to me. That God has brought me out and God has delivered me. This is a shout for me because remember, he was supposed to be executed. But now he's out of jail. He's now free. The guards are nowhere around. The chains are gone and the doors have been opened. Peter could have literally ran anywhere he wanted to go. But the text says that Peter makes a decision to head to John Mark's mother's house. Now, he could have went anywhere. He's a fugitive, literally. He was supposed to be facing death. He's escaped, so if he ever gets caught, then he would have to deal with the repercussions of his escape. But Peter throws all that in the wind, and he decides to go to a familiar place with familiar people. He heads to John Mark's mother's house. Many scholars have suggested this was the literal place of the upper room where they had met on the day of Pentecost, where they would congregate and corporately gather. And Peter decides, after getting out of jail, there's no better place I'd rather be than with people I know and people of shared faith. He gets to John Mark's mother's house, and this is where the story takes an interesting twist. He knocks on the door, and he's knocking while the text says the people are praying. That They are having a prayer meeting because they've been praying for Peter. And isn't it interesting that what they've been praying for is now at the door? The Bible tells us Rhoda, servant of the house, comes to the door. She doesn't open it. She asks through the door, who is it? Peter announces himself. She's so excited. She runs to the people and exclaims to them that Peter is at the door. Now, there's indictment in this text because they begin to chastise Rhoda and say, Rhoda, you are crazy. Peter is in prison. And Peter ain't getting out. But isn't it interesting? They're praying for Peter, but they don't believe what they are praying for. 
until ultimately Rhoda finally convinces him they come to the door because they assumed it was either an apparition or maybe his guardian angel but when they open the door Peter is standing right there can you imagine the astonishment of those who even though they were praying still had a faction of doubt in their mind they trusted God but they still thought that Peter was going to be in prison and he was going to get beheaded like James but in the midst of their prayer meeting Peter is delivered and now what they had been praying for is now at the door see this is when I began to shout into myself because I began to think if I was in that prayer meeting and yes I was praying that God make a way for Peter but in my heart I started to think man they did it to James so they probably gonna do it to Peter too can you imagine what must have happened to their faith to see Peter at the door to see Peter walk in and see Peter be the personification of an answered prayer in other words what they have been praying for is what God brought out of prison in other words God's deliverance of Peter was bigger than Peter but there were some folk that were praying that needed to know that God is an answerer of prayer see that's why child of God you can't sit on your testimony and when you get out of what you've been in you can't just run anywhere but you need to show anybody Lottie Dottie and everybody that I am a reason I am a person that knows that God is a deliverer and if he can deliver me I'm just crazy enough to believe he can deliver you that's why child of God we ought to have every now and again a testifying witness party where you tell people you want to know why I'm here is because I'm an answer to a prayer somebody needs to know that God is a healer I'm right here somebody needs to know God is a sustainer I'm right here somebody needs to know can God get you out of it I'm a witness today I'm on display today that God can answer your prayer I can feel you there tab global high five somebody in the comment section and tell them I'm a witness I know what prayer can do I know that God can deliver and I know that God can bring you out and many times God does those things because he needs us to be the physical representation of the fact of what God can do and respond to somebody else's prayer. That's the powerful thing we understand today. Is that sometimes God does it not just for us. But for those we may be in contact with. God allows us to be the fuel to their faith. This is literally the last time we physically see Peter in the book of Acts. The last instructions he gives them is go tell James, the brother of Jesus, and the other people. Let them know what happened here. And we never hear of Peter anymore in the book of Acts. But his words have lasting implications, especially for those who got to witness his deliverance. Because they seen what God did for Peter and made them know what God can do for them. Sometimes that's why God does what God does. 
Because it's bigger than us. That God delivers, yes, because you've been faithful. God delivers, yes, in order to stretch us. But yes, oftentimes God delivers us to make you an example of his power. That's why we should never be ashamed to share our testimony. We should never be ashamed to let people know what God has done in our lives. Listen, I'm here to tell you that God responds to prayer. Prayers of the righteous avail of much. I've been quick to tell people that God has graced me in an incredible way in ministry. Not because I'm the most gifted orator. Not because I'm the most intuitive leader. No. Lord knows I'm growing in every aspect of pastoring and every aspect of being a disciple. But I really believe that God has favored my life in an incredible way as a response to the prayers of my grandparents. And growing up, I can never forget waking up and seeing them praying over me. And so I always knew, no matter what the world did against me, they were no match to the prayers of those that loved me. So I can be like Peter and sleep in it. And trust even when things are uncertain. Because I know that there's a promise, there's a plan, there's a purpose that's over my life. And I believe there's a lot of you that's listening to me that can testify that I got that same feeling, PG. There's a plan, there's a purpose, and there's a promise that's over my life. Which means, yes, I may have to go through some bondage, and yes, I may have to be captive, and yes, I may be in some places based upon other people's decisions. But one thing I know is God has never failed me yet. I believe there's one or two or three that know exactly what I'm talking about. Holler back at the preacher in the comment section. Let me know if you're feeling what I'm saying because you too know what it is to just be delivered by God. To have him just show up and show out in an amazing, incredible way. Listen, the word has been preached and I hope that it has been helpful. And the only thing to do when the word has gone forth is to respond to the word. I'm so grateful for the many people that connect with our church, connect with this ministry, join and partner with us. And we want to give you that chance even now in this moment. There are multiple ways for you to make that decision. Whether it's through emailing us at connectwithus at tbcaugusta.org or even whatever platform you're in right now, you can drop us a line right there in the comments section and our I-team is already ready to engage with you, send you the information that you need. There's others that send it through Facebook. There's multiple ways that you can connect with us in that way. But even there's, there's a text way, a new way we get for you to join us and be a part of us, to connect with us and join. Connect is simply where we get you more information to make sure that you know more about this church called Tabernacle Baptist Church. Or you can join and partner. I'm amazed that since we've gone totally virtual, how many people have connected and committed to this ministry that's not even close to living even in our region or even in our time zone. But through this virtual platform, the Cyber Church of Tab Global are making 
tab their church and making me their pastor. That's one thing that this thing, this crisis has challenged us, but I believe it's also becoming what we see is really exemplified in the Word of God to go to the outermost parts of the world. I'm amazed at how many folk are committing and connecting, and you too can make that decision. We would absolutely love for you to do that. Matter of fact, even while you're in the comment, you can lift that hand right there and say, I, I want to join. I need a church. I need a pastor. I'm believing that through this is going to be a great reawakening, an amazing revival that is going to take place. I believe that God is calling us to a higher level of commitment and intimacy with Him. And you can do that. It's simply you making the choice. I just preached that. God is not going to do it all, but you're going to have to partner with Him to do it. So as we come to this moment, let me pray for you. Let me share with you in this moment. God, we thank you and we bless you. We love you and we honor you and we glorify you. So now, God, the word has been preached. I pray those who respond to it. I thank you for the multitude of people who are connecting even right now while I'm praying. That are making tab their home and making me their pastor. Thank you for the many people that are responding for salvation. Realizing that it's simply an ABC, accept, believe, and confess. And it's our aim to make disciples for Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we just ask in this moment that you will let our hearts be filled with what we have to, to grow and to mature, to stay faithful. God, I pray that every word that we've preached and shared will be a blessing to people, not just now, but as they continue to, to regurgitate the word and, and reconnect with the word. So God, help us to be better now in this place. God, I thank you that you're God that can deliver us out of whatever we are in. So, Lord, bless your people afresh. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, Tabai fam, I love you. God bless you. Remember, we got a full week. We want to share with you. We're celebrating PG-13. Kick back on this Friday. Thank you for those joining us for our MPO virtual experience this upcoming Saturday. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday. We always do this as we conclude our worship experience. We lift our hands. We say, because we've been blessed, we're going to be a blessing. Go in peace, and may the God of peace go with you as well. Take care. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the most impactful place on the planet, Tabernacle Baptist Church. Don't forget, go by website, tbcaugusta.org, there to see all that we got going on. And also, I thank you in advance for your benevolence and your gift that helps us promote the kingdom of God. Listen, I want to see you come back. Check us out later. Love you much. Take care. Peace.